place is a hive of activity here. I'm standing on the pontoon. All of the Admiral's coppers are getting ready. The fastest starts this afternoon. We've just finished packing the food on board Fianor. Everybody's excited and all set to go. It's going to be quite a spectacular start. Altogether, we have 272 boats heading out around the 605-mile course. There's been a lot of last-minute little jobs, food, um, safety harnesses, wet foul weather gear, sleeping bags, all of that sort of thing, cans of food to store away. But now we're finally getting it all together and uh, we're looking forward to starting. There's a nice sort of brisk wind from the north. It's about blowing force two. I'm just looking across here and I see a big uh, Japanese flag. In fact, it's the uh, Hong Kong Admirals Cup team. Alan Green, you're with the RORC. Can you fill us in on the weather situation this morning? Well, today it's looking pretty slack, I'm afraid, and there's a, a slight northwesterly breeze blowing at the moment. Um, we don't think there's going to be uh, very strong weather, but so far I haven't seen the long-range forecast, and of course things could change after a day or two. You, you think things could change by Monday, that a new system could come in, or do you think it'll be a fast, fastnet? Looking slow? at the chart this morning, I would say it's quite possible that things could change, and I think most of the boats have had quite enough of flat calm for the last two weeks, and they hope it will. I should say the fastnet won't be the slowest on record, but it may not be the fastest either. How much are the fastest race instructions? A pound. A pound for fastest race instructions. Uh, Pinky, how are you getting on? If I was a rich man, I'd have one. Are you going off from the fastest this time? I'm going to play it for us, are you? Play oh, back yeah, back play it back. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus Christ, no, I think I will have one. I'd have two. I'll play it back for us, Have you ever sailed yourself seriously in the fastest? Yes, sir, in a, in a banana boat. Banana boat, That's sure. how I come from Ireland, I did. Over on a banana boat, that's how I come across, you see. I see, yeah. 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 You're making a lot of money selling the programmes St. Patrick and the Shamrock and all this. Oh, you're making a few bobs, sir. Just a few bobs. Finra Murray, uh, you're from Cork, I believe, and you're racing on a uh, boat against us crystal clear. Or is it Fawny? Fawny, isn't that right, Joe? Yeah. How are you fixed for the fastener? Well, grand. We have six crew, plenty of food, plenty of water. We reckon we'll be out there till um, at least Friday. I'd say if we're back Friday morning, we'll be doing quite well. How many days have you provisioned up for? Around five or six. And um, it's an old Cork crew, is it? Are you a fairly young crew or, or, or who's Skipper? Well, Skipper is um, Brian and Mick Toomey. They're the owners. Well, their father owns the boat. And there's um, George Radley, uh, Jerry Coleman, and an English bloke we picked up in Cowes, Rob something. He's a funny, I don't know what his second name is, but um, seemingly he's, he was on Stratus. He's quite good. Okay, five minutes coming up. See the five or six minutes. I think it's five coming up now. In many respects, today's start is no different to countless other starts we've made together on Fianor. But there's something different about this race. It seems almost possible to slice the tension in the air with a knife. I think it goes back to the last time this 605-mile ocean race took place in 1979. Then, 15 lives were lost and hundreds more had to be rescued. I am the only crewman of six on board who participated in that fatal race. Then, as now, there were headwinds from a southwesterly direction. Two days later, almost without warning, a series of fronts and a deep low-pressure system swept in from the Atlantic. 
After suddenly changing direction, it produced seas in which rocks would float, and in one tempestuous night, the 1979 Fastnet became the biggest ocean racing disaster in history. Then what in God's name am I doing out here looking for more punishment? Frankly, I don't know. There is no logical explanation, nor is one necessary. Safe to say, it's a very satisfying experience, a challenge, and, oddly enough, still a very safe sport once you take the proper precautions. By and large, and though many sailors blame their problems on gear failure, lack of warning and freak weather and so forth, I share the view with other competitors that it was the people who were principally to blame. Fundamentally, Fastnet 79 drove the message firmly home to seafaring men the world over that the sea knows no master. It is unpredictable, demands respect and humbles even the greatest of men. feel now, Brian, that we've started. A lot more relaxed and a lot more relaxed, definitely more relaxed. It's interesting now to see that we've been racing for about an hour. The bigger boats are starting to come through. What do you think about the wind shifts? The wind shifts are really quite amazing. We had we had a very tight beat for the first mile, maybe two miles. And then to have it suddenly freeze so much and have it suddenly close reaching up to the uh, outer end of the Solent was a sort of devastating effect on the leaders. The leaders, I think, have lost out considerably by it. 
Do you feel a bit more relaxed I'm now that, that it's, the start is over? Yes, a lot more so. relaxed. Boats are suddenly all pointing in the same direction. Yeah. Not like at the start where they're all over the place. Yeah, yeah. But if this wind escapes up, we might have a fairly quick fast one after all. Yes, yes. Well, here's hoping. Here's hoping. Keep smiling. <laughs> Keep the spirits up. Wind is very fluky. I've got to work out the tidal situations on the chart now. Uh, I'm at the chart table. The boat is lined at an angle. The crew are sitting out on the weather rail, trying to keep her balanced. Uh, chopping around the place here. Uh, I've got to work out how long we're going to remain in the tides. The tides play a very, very critical role here. You've got to know exactly what they're doing at every hour. We're in the second hour of the tide now. We've got about two knots under us, helping us on our way. The wind is westerly. We're, we're beating into it. Progress is very, very good. The spirits on board are good. We're all loaded up. Set for a good fast move. In the second hour of the tide, the tide will stay with us for the next four hours, and then it will turn. It doesn't look as if we'll get around Portland, Portland Bill before the tide turns. It can be very, very tricky. You can have up to seven knots against you there in spring tides. And in an unfavorable wind, when you've got tide against wind, you can have very, very, very dangerous seas. We think, too, that the wind might go around a bit more to the north, which would mean it would be dangerous to go too far south and that we might get caught the wrong side of the wind shift. Meanwhile now we're just concentrating on boat speed, keeping her going, keeping her moving. Making loads in the log now of the time, it's 1900 hours. Course steered 250, log reading at 5976. Wind is, is west northwest. Northwest, Oblast. It's 1909, 709. We missed the weather forecast. Does anybody want a bit of grub? Uh, what time is it now? 7.14. Start at 7.30. We're dying today, all right? Yeah, okay. There's a little boat of consumption of grub in this boat. The light of this has never been before. <laughs> I want seconds of everything, please. <laughs> Pinned up against the mast now. Caught between the galley and the mast. Cooking up our first meal at sea. It's getting dark. The light is fading fairly quickly. We're gonna cook the lads a fresh dinner now this evening. Fresh from the can. A few cans of stewed steak here. And a few cans of <laughs> canned potatoes. Put on the gas, mix the whole lot up together. Massive goulash. It's amazing how the sea works up an appetite. Shake it around in the can of it. Mm, good solid meat. I'll have a cup of tea for you in a moment, Dick. We just ran short of water that time. 
and a biscuit there, Tom. Well, watch our boat speed, lads, we're down here. Never been flashing. Just flashing long enough, you know. You got Lee Helm, Dick? Huh? Have you Lee Helm? Huh? I've actually no helm at all. That's great. It's just off, uh, off, um... Okay, call our boat speed now, how are we doing? Three and a half. Three and a half? It's getting dark now, Tom. We're lying down inside. Wind has settled down a bit. How do you feel? Pretty okay, you know. Trying to relax before we um, get stuck into the all-night watch. Boys are still terribly keen upstairs, but I reckon you have to kind of pace yourself out a bit because it could be a long run faster. You think so? You think you think you could be out here for a long time? Never know, you know. Have enough food, enough drink, crack is good, flat water. So you're you're, you're happy now that happy. we're underway. Mm -hmm. No waiting was worse than the, um, the actuality of actually getting out because. Uh, I think tempers were getting a little bit short yesterday. People were nervous, particularly after the, um, the disaster of a few years ago. And, uh, you know, things were, hassles were occurring. People were homing in on things that they normally wouldn't bother, like, for instance, food. And food seemed to be the dominant influence of conversation for the last two days. But uh, everything seems to have slotted into this. Happy enough with how the ship is. Great. Bob's your uncle. Bob's your uncle. We're just off the tidal gate of Portland Build. I'm tuning into RT for the weather forecast. It's just coming up to midnight. So, at the time of five minutes to midnight, we have the weather forecast from Michael Gilligan. Well, any rain or drizzle still in eastern countries will soon be out. And apart from some scattered showers near northern and northwestern coasts tonight and early in the morning, the weather will be dry, but fairly good sunny starts most days of tomorrow. Oh, such bliss. Ah. I'm sitting up on the forepeak, right up in the front of the boat. It's just got dark. I'm sitting on the head, which is, in fact, the nautical equivalent of a toilet or the loo. It's my first uh, serious job after two days at sea. It's such relief. Oh, the pleasure, the, the bliss is enormous. The wind has eased off. It got up fairly strong during the day. It's now dropped back to a force two. We're close racing with another boat very similar to us. She has a slight edge on boat speed, but we hope to catch her on tactics. Uh, at the moment, we're just rounded Lizard Point. Next is Land's End, and after Land's End, we leave the Scilly Isles to port, and next stop is the Fastnet, 180 miles away. Well, we can see the lights of the large Admiral's Coppers and the Maxirators ahead of us on the horizon. There are a number of lights astern also. It's quite amazing when it gets dark. In fact, your visibility improves because each boat has a light, a masthead light. And normally you can only see about eight miles, but during the day, or rather at night time, you can pick them up about 15 miles away. With clear skies, the, this evening's sunset was, was beautiful. We had the moon coming up over one quarter while the sun 
disappeared over the Land's End horizon of, over the coast of Cornwall in many brilliant colours. It's quite relaxing here, really, as I sit on the head. Um, there are two lads in bed at the moment, uh, Tom and Dick, um, off watch, while Jim is on the helm with um, Peter and Brian. We're driving the boat constantly. It's a 24-hour job keeping a boat moving, and every little fraction of boat speed counts, because after about a week at sea, all of this adds up. Uh, a second here, a second there, an adjustment on a sail, and you are constantly adjusting the sails according to the wind. The wind doesn't stay steady all day. It has been sort of meandering 15 and 20 degrees either side, so you've got to be very, very sensitive to this wind changes and adjust the sails and your course accordingly. quite happy we're working together as a team it's just one goal to move this boat as fast as we possibly can in fact this head is a new experience on Fino it's the first time that I can actually sit down or the first time on all my days sailing in this boat that I've ever done it in the head because it's new previously we used to do it in a bucket which was, was quite satisfactory in fact in many ways it was it was much handier or else just straight over the side. It was one of the funny regulations one had to have for this fastness race. You have to have uh, a head that you can pump out. The boat's just come <laughs> over at an angle there, getting a bit wet. <laughs> I'd better cut off and maybe, maybe talk to the tape recorder at another stage. is a remarkably noisy place. Even in the heads up forward, there is no privacy, though it is a little quieter. A boat like Fionor is a racing machine. Even a toilet door is sacrificed for lightness. Mind you, the view aft from the throne across the vast horizon on a starry night is spectacular. Adaptability with six people living in close quarters is a vital ingredient. Even with the way the VHF system works, there is no privacy on the airwaves. A call home to your wife can be public, as is the case with the Welsh yacht Shiloh ahead of us. I do think these phone calls are a bit expensive, so um, oh, regards, everyone sends their regards. If you'll ring, Mac, uh, ring Les at Mac's house and tell her that uh, you know, he's, he's, out, he's away and everything's all right. And, uh, ring. We'll ring you the minute we get back, over love. Entertaining business. This listening in on uh, telephone conversations um, it sounds a bit nasty, but it's a standard thing. It's the sea communications are all open. 
Uh, each boat has a VHF set, which is what we have. It's a handy little set. It's damp common, in fact. They're made down in Limerick, and we're very, very happy with it. And um, it's possible to make a radio telephone link up uh, via Land's End Radio or a series of radio stations along the coast of England. Oddly enough, we don't have any such uh, VHF facility in Ireland. It's long overdue. It's a very, very good safety feature. And it's also uh, very much commercially vi viable for the uh, telephone system. It's remarkable the clarity one can get on, on VHF. And uh, it is a rule of the race now since the 79 disaster that each yacht much, must have one. Uh, VHF, their range is quite limited depending on the the day and so on, but generally it's about 30-40 miles, depending on mast height and so on and so forth, and depending on who is your receiver. For instance, Long End, Land's End would have a very high aerial, so they could pick us up a long way away. We're rumping along through the night now, there's a bright moon outside. The wind has got up again to about a force 3, force 4. It's constant boat speed, boat speed, boat speed. Uh, this boat here, Zephyrus, is just slightly ahead of us. We're having a very close race with her. And it's a matter of constant sail changing, adjusting, trimming, keeping the boat at a right angle, and plotting our course relative to what we think the wind might do and the tides. We're also constantly listening to weather forecasts and uh, balancing one forecast against the other, the Irish against the English forecast and the French forecast. Overnight for the moment. How do you feel now, lads, as you just come off watch as you put on your trousers? Are you just going on watch? Sleepy. Sleepy. I've got a cup of tea on for you. Oh, that's beautiful. It's, not, it's very nice up there. Visibility is, is excellent. Yeah, we're about four miles from Land's End. Forecast is fairly good for tomorrow. We just got our tea. We're picking up BBC now in a couple of minutes. There are warnings of gales in Trafalgar, Finisterre, Rockall, Malin, Hebrides, Fair Isle. The general synopsis at 0100. Low, North Iceland, 987, moving slowly north, and filling, 998, by 0100 tonight. High, Seoul, 1026, moving slowly southeast. Ridge, Seoul to Fisher, moving slowly southeast. Low, Spain, 1,011, persisting. The area forecast for the next 24 hours. Viking, 40s, Cromarty, 4th. Southwesterly, 4, locally, 5. Occasional rain, moderate or poor, with fog banks developing. Tyne, Dogger. Variable 3, becoming southwest, 4. Yeah, we're about three miles off the fasteners. Uh, spirits are fairly good on board, trashing along. It was very difficult to pick out in the poor visibility in the haze to pick out the rock against the land. But fortunately, our navigation was fairly accurate and we homed right in on it, despite a good deal of soul searching were we right or were we wrong. Your time, 11-2-0. Over. 
He's a French boat. Last record. TRX rates 21.6. As you can hear there on the VHF radio, as we run the rock, each uh, yacht passes their position. There's another boat coming through. I receive you very weakly, very weakly. Over. In many ways, this is the high point of the race. Uh, quite a lot of this is the climax. It's a lot of excitement. We've got about. Uh, two-thirds to a half of the voyage over. Uh, the run back to Plymouth is not as, as long. We've got a bottle of champagne. How many miles is the return trip? We've got 20 miles beyond the rock. Foxtrot, Western Sunset. Western Sunset, I hear a station calling Seahorse Foxtrot, but very weak, very weak. Do you read, over? Oh, no, I hear you calling him, and I hear you trying to link up with someone, but I can't uh, hear him at all. Over. Western Sunset, then we just wait uh, when he's a little bit nearer. Out. As we approach the rock, I'm getting out the bottle of champagne. A bottle of mum's champagne I got from the race uh, organisers who sponsored the Admiral's Cup and the Fastener. And um, we're hoping to go very close, and I'm, we're really working up the pressure in the bottle, and we're hoping to hit the, the lighthouse with the cork. It's a bit of a wild ambition, but it's, it's, it's something to, to mark the occasion. It'll be a bit anticlimactical heading out to sea again after getting so close to land, uh, four days at sea. We'll be within just a couple of yards of, um, a couple of miles of Cape Clear Island before heading right back across the western approaches again. Uh, we rounded the rock at Though our champagne cork missed the fastnet rock as we rounded up, we still caught it fairly close. With almost 400 miles completed, we are now keen to find out our overall placing in the race. Varying in size from 90 feet to 28 feet, the 270-odd boats are divided into a series of five classes. Fionor is grouped in Class 5, together with 41 other yachts. How, then, can an overall winner be decided with such different sizes of boats participating? It's quite ingenious in its simplicity. All yachts are built to the International Offshore Rule, or IOR rating as it is known. By combining variables such as sail area, displacement and length in a formula, each boat gets an IOR rating. Therefore, a larger boat could cross the line ahead of us by as much as a day and we could still beat her after IOR ratings are equated with elapsed time. And though there are a number of yachts ahead, they are all seem bigger and we find ourselves close to Class 4 and even Class 3 entrants. At this stage, the mental challenge is perhaps the greatest one of them all, in that you could be lying first or an unlikely last, making it necessary to keep the boat going at maximum speed 24 hours of the day. We really won't know our place until sometime after we've crossed the line in Plymouth. What's the visibility? Three and a half miles. Three and a half miles. No. If he has... If he has... Uh, 72 yachts inside there, look. Yeah. They're all up the run line. 
you mean? The whole way around there. All... So what are these tactical considerations then? Should we go inside and try and hold the wind or just no, keep no, the no. rum line and go we straight just, through? Just carry on down there and the last yeah. bit when the tide turns we can pull up fast. Yeah. And we should pick up a lot of boats coming through there yeah. as they come down dead. Down. We just seem to be carrying the wind. They seem to be stuck out there completely. I don't know. Which is the feature of the Admiral's Coppers yesterday. They were all, that's not, that's the uh, previous position. We didn't plot them. We didn't have the rubber to rub that out. But they were all centred in around this area here again, in around the Eddystone. Mm -hmm. And there were a few over this far, but there were actually none in here. Mm -hmm. uh, there yeah, were one or two right. in this position. Yeah, so, so I think that it's just a repeat of the same thing, except that this, that southwesterly is starting to come in. Mm-hmm. Natural flavorous. Okay, like a fix on Eddystone. After a long haul, we're approaching the finish. What are your feelings? Good crack. Good crack, you know. Enjoyed it. Mighty weather. I expected far worse and enjoyed it, you know. You think it was all worthwhile? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Bit of a ten out of it. <laughs> How do you think you'll adjust back to regular work? Oh, no problem. It's my holidays. It's a holiday with a change. That's all. Okay. The horizon is dense with boats as we race up towards the finish. It's quite an amount of an excitement on board. This is the end of a long haul. Brilliant sunshine. We're sneaking up now into Plymouth Sound, up past Ram Head. And then around by Pedigree Point, and then a mile run down into the breakwater and across the finishing line. Ocean 4, Ocean 4, Ocean 4. This is Yacht Fianor, uh, India Romeo 333. Three, three. We're within two miles of the finish. Please acknowledge. Over. Well, it doesn't look as if Ocean 4 are going to acknowledge, but... Will they give us a hooter as we go across the line? Sure will. Yeah, that is a contention, 33. Crossing the line now. This boat just coming up on our stern.
Thank you, gentlemen. Start the engine. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Jim. Thank you. Thank you, Dick. Good luck now, dear. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed the race and come back again anytime. Uh, okay. Skipper, do we have your permission to open this bottle? Great sailing. Beautiful. Great sailing, bad racing. Okay. okay. Take off the wire mesh. Hmm? Take off the wire mesh. There's the expert that opening the champagne. It's coming up now, isn't it? Okay. Spot the banana. Stop. I got the last one poured all over me. Which reminds me. There's a tremendous feeling of relief now that it's all over. In ways, it's a bit of an anticlimax. I like the finish of an athletics event, or say, the Grand National in horse racing. There is no sudden spurt for the final stretch. Theonor was in the final stretch the whole way. The light and often fluky winds of the previous 24 hours had been very frustrating. Mind you, as the wind picked up from the southwest to carry us over the line under full spinnaker and brilliant sunshine, it was a memorable moment. While well up in our class, we finished 22nd overall, which was an excellent result out of the 272 entrants. Indeed, we were the best individual Irish competitor, and it was satisfying to have beaten most of the Admiral's coppers, in addition to massive yachts such as Jim Kilroy's Maxi Raider Kealoa and the likes of Flyer, the Dutch entry in the Whitbread Round the World race. The small French yacht Mordicus was outright winner just four hours ahead, while another French yacht Ticoco finished second. On Fionor, we had been racing for 120 hours, 43 minutes and 8 seconds. The following afternoon, after the celebrations and unwind ashore, Jim Poole, skipper of Fionor, with his crew, put to sea yet again for the 300-mile delivery trip home to the National Yacht Club. It was important to be in time for work the following Monday morning, having completed approximately 1,500 sea miles in two weeks. I thought it was a very, very worthwhile exercise, particularly from my point of view, being a, a dinghy helmsman, to get a race together which was to take five days is so much different from just racing around the boys and uh, to keep yourself going. It involved factors which you wouldn't consider when dinghy racing. Things like, uh, certainly uh, there's an awful lot of stamina required and there's an awful lot of planning required and self-discipline, i.e. slotting into um, a regular routine, establishing a regular routine. So from that point of view, it was like flicking a coin, really. I think once I was on the helm, I felt extremely happy. I could drive the boat and I was in my own milieu. But um, outside that, I felt that I was relying on other people to make sure the planning was right. And, and that was really their, their side of the whole, the whole show. Well, Jim, you've skippered Fianor. What are your feelings after Fastnet 81? I think it was a very good Fastnet, certainly for small boats. I think many people have said it's the, the Grand Prix of all ocean racing. Uh, I would agree with that. Uh, there are very many facets in the Fastnet, and a boat that's particularly good in one particular facet of sailing just simply finds that it's not up to the pace, something else. You've got to put it all together into a race, and you've got to keep the boat going, keep the boat driving, keep the crew fed and watered and happy. And I think, above all else, the Fastnet is the kind of race that certainly a small boat seeks out any weakness whatsoever in crew or in skippering or in anything else. 
any little wavering or lack of determination or lack of guts, if you like, or lack of bite, and you'll find yourself very rapidly getting into a position where a lot of boats are ahead of you and a lot of boats are doing very, very well. And above all else, I think uh, it points the moral that in a long offshore race, you should never, ever give up. It was a great fastnet, I think, really and truly. And um, I don't think Jim Kilroy in, in Kealoha will think it was a, of it as a great fastnet. But certainly, it was great in the sense that it was glorious weather, tremendous sailing, uh, tremendous competition. And uh, for once in a long while, the smaller boats, including Fianor, came into their own. I think something like 21 out of the first 25 were half-tonners in our division. Tremendously well sailed, very well geared, um, and extremely competitive. What's so special about it? I think what's special about it is, number one, that it is a long, truly offshore race. You are, for extended periods, well out of sight of land. Uh, this brings up, of course, the point about the 79 race. Why couldn't help be got more readily or more swiftly to people who are literally 80 miles or 100 miles from anywhere? And the, the, the point is, the Fastnet is a very genuine deep-sea offshore race. You are going out into the western approaches and across the, the what's now called the Celtic Sea to the Irish coast, and um, you're quite likely to get anything that the good Lord decides to send your way. And you've got to be equipped for it, you've got to be crewed for it, you've got to be mentally ready for it. Even if the eight is going to be, as we had, 13 and a half hours of light drifting conditions in which you barely managed to go five miles, you've got to be ready for it. And I think above all else, the Fastnet, as I said earlier, it does offer a challenge to any skipper and any crew that they can't just be good at one particular facet of sailing. They can't just put it together for a day or a night. It's the continuity. It's the continuum of effort over a, a fairly considerable period. And above all else, it's the, the crew compatibility in terms of if the skipper's got to go below, he's got to know in his heart and soul that somebody is there driving the boat as hard as he knows how, as well as he knows how. It puts a challenge on, on it throws down a challenge to every single facet of, of sailing. Um, navigation, crewing, um, subtlety, sheer physical endurance if it comes down to a hard blow, and the sort of crafty things that um, become legendary in the, in the sailing world are literally part and parcel of a day's working like getting through a fastnet. And I think any small boat which goes out and does a delivery trip like we did of 400 miles, a couple of races to sharpen up in Cow's Week, and then a 600-mile delivery backed up by a 600-mile race, backed up by a 300-mile delivery home, certainly has been doing a lot of sailing. 